Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is the guy who would never cut Spider-Man's web with a monocruiser, my careful friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Uh, I'm always careful when I'm around webs. I'm doing very well today, James B. Excellent to hear. Uh, Today we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man 62 and 63, and there's something today that's going to make our discussion even better than our usual third-grade banter. That's right, James B. Today we have a guest introducing one of the most brilliant and insightful minds we have crossed paths with in the field of education, Stephen Tatum. We are thrilled to have you today. How's it going, Stephen? Well, I hope to live up to the brilliance and insightfulness that uh, <laughs> that you chalked me up to. I'm doing all right. Stephen, do you want to tell, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. I am a teacher and... I spend a lot of my time thinking about how best to be a teacher. Uh, it's hard times uh, these these past couple of years, but we are we are making the best of it every day. Uh, I'm also passionate about social justice issues, uh, community, being involved uh, with as many folks as possible, and in whatever struggles for justice are out there. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, thanks for having me. I'm I'm a big fan of ambitious collaborative reading projects, so I've been a fan of this since I heard about it, and I'm ex- very excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you here too, Stephen. Eddie, could you tell us about the first issue today? Amazing Spider-Man 62. Make way for Medusa. We open with Medusa on a mission to see if her people, the Inhumans, are still feared by humans. While flying her monocruiser through town, she becomes entangled with Spider-Man, but abruptly leaves, citing his superhero opinions as not average enough to judge humanity. She confronts and converses with some average humans, but is interrupted by a proposition to appear as a model for heavenly hairspray. She accepts because she sees it as an opportunity to study humans closely. Steven, there's something fascinating in the social commentary in this issue. How do you interpret Medusa and the police officer's conversation at the bottom of page five and the top of page six? There's so much going on here, and it's hard to know exactly where to start. First of all, the context, July of 1968, this is height of the civil rights movement. And so when we have Medusa here uh, demanding or desiring to walk among you as equals, that kind of has some ring to it. Um, And then the response from the police officer uh, is, there's no law against that lady. And then um, following that, as far as I can tell, you haven't broken a single law. Um, What I read into this is uh, they're kind of trying to balance uh, the, the political controversies of the time. On the one hand, wanting to be supportive of equality, but only if we're reinforcing that, that that is done within the law. So I think the, the writers here are trying to uh, play that, that delicate balance that comics sometimes do. I, I think it's really fascinating that the police officer is black and speaking to Medusa, who is both a woman and she's part of this you know, tribe of inhumans, which are trying to figure out if they can fit back into humanity. Uh, I mean, I, I think Stanley often has like the pulse on what's going on, you know, and, I, you know, do you think he's uh, endorsing like the civil rights movement or I, I, I can't totally put my finger on what's going on here, but. 
I certainly am not a comics expert, so I would defer to someone who knows Stan Lee better than I do. What do you think about that, James B.? I notice all the time that he has a lot of black characters in positions that probably would not have been in the comics back in the 60s and other comic books. He puts them all the time in the Daily Bugle with J. Jonah Jameson. He almost always has a black police officer um, as well. So I think he's very aware, just from what I can tell in the comics. It's interesting that he would you know, say there's no law against not being equal. Uh you know, at, at this part. And I, I just found a little piece, like I was looking through something and I found a column standard written in 1968. I, he says, let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. So I, like, I think he's trying to be really delicate because this is a comic book and we don't want to forget like Spider-Man, but at the same time, he's like very cleverly working into different kind of social I don't know if we could call him like activist but certainly a supporter of what's going on in the country at the time because it's a very tumultuous year that's for sure 1968 Martin Luther King was assassinated what two months before this comic came out so anyways we will continue with Medusa meanwhile Peter attempts an apology to Gwen but Gwen slams a door in his face Captain Stacy is still recovering from his hypnosis as Gwen sheds a tear about rejecting Peter at the Midtown Business Executives Club, J. Jonah Jameson's fuming over the incompetence of his employees is irritating a sickly Norman Osborn. Norman is haunted by strange memories of the Green Goblin and Spider-Man. And Stephen, you mentioned that you are not uh, the comic book expert here. That's not why we brought you in. So I'll just mention to you, there is a lot of flashbacks in these two issues, more than I've ever seen in almost any issue in there. It's in both. But Norman Osborn, he is the Green Goblin. He did unmask Spider-Man, so he knows that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And there was a fire, and in the results of it, he got out of it. Peter saved him because he wouldn't let him die, even though he knew the secret. But he had this convenient amnesia. So he doesn't know he's the Green Goblin, but Peter does. And that's all these flashbacks. And we're always worried as the reader that he's going to remember he's the Green Goblin. Something's going to go really bad. Gotcha. I was I was thinking as I was reading these two issues, so many of these characters really need to like see some some people to help them with all of their their trauma from whatever happened in the issues before this. Yeah, you, so. don't know, you don't know the half of it. Eddie's done many uh, PSAs on mental health for us uh, throughout the years of the of these issues. Good, good. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Across town, Medusa grows tired of modeling for her human simpletons. Upon Medusa's departure, Montgomery G. Bliss, the boss of the hairspray company, cons Spider-Man into attacking Medusa, thinking it will be good for advertising. They battle until they realize they've been tricked and Medusa flies off to leave behind the race of madmen. Monty comically loses his job at the hairspray company, and we see a sullen Peter reject MJ's advances at the end. Uh, James B., do you approve of how the uh, first issue featuring a female supervillain was handled? You think this is the first supervillain that's a female that he's had to face, is that what you're saying? This is not... I know this is not the first he's faced, but she's, like, on the cover. Oh, I mean... Princess Python was on the cover, and he really had to deal with if he was going to fight her or not back in, I don't I want to say issue 22, maybe. Um, but do I approve of how they handled her? It's I, Boy, they really tried to make sure we knew she was a girl, right? Like, it's all about her hair and her, and her appearing and her modeling. Although, this is a real character. Uh, Medusa was established in the Fantastic Four, 
she actually came in as a villain, a member of the group that I bring up all the time, Eddie, if you recall, the Frightful Four. And she was kind of, she was actually not introduced as an Inhuman first. She was introduced just as this character who was part of the Frightful Four. Then later we found out, oh, she's a member of the Inhumans. And the Inhumans are basically almost all good guys. And she's kind of like the number two in command. Her, like, her love is a gentleman named Black Bolt. And they didn't want to do anything with that in the Spider-Man issue. They didn't bring up uh, her background. that Because otherwise they'd be like, she's basically a good guy. Now, I don't know time-wise time here if she's a good guy at this time or we haven't introduced her um, fully. But she's definitely a good guy in the Inhuman, so it's hard to have her fighting. Uh, the same way that Kazar had to fight against Spider-Man a few issues ago, and the Human Torch had to fight Spider-Man. So if you're asking me, how do I approve of the first issue featuring a female supervillain? Uh, not good. You know, not so good. Um, Steven, do you have anything uh, to say about this? Yeah, I mean, reading this, I was struck by how not terribly villainous she is. Um, and even though I think, James B., you're right to point out that the the comic goes at great lengths to make us really know that she's a woman with all the hair and and um, how she's objectified by uh, by Mr. Bliss. But her character and her personality is very rational and very focused on her mission, which is one that we can uh, kind of get behind as readers, right? She's just trying to see if, human, yeah. if humanity is ready for, uh, if it has its act together, if it's ready for being back with her people. Let me jump in um, here. Is she, is she a villain at all? I don't think so, really, in this issue at least. Um, in in some ways, I'm looking back at the uh, moment right before that conver- the conversation with the police officer that we had, where she says, "I merely desire to walk among you as equals," and we talked about the social commentary there. But if you just look at that scene, there's also a fair amount of humor in that statement because she's just crash landed in the pot in the middle of this crowd, and it's terrifying. Her hair is everywhere. She is very intimidating and the children are running and she just barely kind of saves but it also looks like kind of ensnares the kid and um so she's a very imposing force in in this issue uh so it plays with that contrast too i think um i liked her as a character i thought she was very interesting um on the next page there's kind of a funny moment uh where she's thinking this is page six she's thinking to herself Oh, maybe these humans are all right. She's perhaps I have judged mankind too harshly. Perhaps it is the time for the inhumans to come out of hiding. But then the two guys next to her are just like objectifying her and talking about how uh, she makes. I had to look up Raquel Welsh. Uh, she makes Raquel Welsh look like a boy, the famous supermodel of the time. So, yeah. um, am I the only one who knew who Raquel Welsh is? I I vaguely knew. I know she's been used in pop culture, but. I, don't, I couldn't tell you that she was a supermodel. <laughs> uh, Eddie, how about you? Do, do you uh, what's your opinion of Medusa in general in this issue? Well, like I said before, I think it's a pretty heavy issue. It really deals with some heavy things, and so much of the rest of the issue is kind of tongue in cheek. She, she's she's dealt with comically like for a long time, yeah, which. It's always bothersome. She's doing a lot better than the Wasp did in whatever annual that was. <laughs> James B., remember the annual with the Wasp? Yes, annual three. <laughs> but over, overall, she's no, I don't think she's a villain either. She's just trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 
the real villain for me emerged as uh, Montgomery G. Bliss. I just yeah. really didn't like him. Uh, right from when, and there's some social commentary here too, uh, yes. especially with gender at the bottom of page four when uh, his assistant there says, but Mr. Bliss, what if she says no to our idea that she be our hairspray model? And he says, nobody says no to Montgomery G. Bliss. Um, she's starting to land on the street below us. Go get her. Uh, just as this gross man who, when when he loses his job, we're all very excited. Yes. At least, yeah, he gets his comeuppance. And he, he cons Spider-Man into doing something. What a jerk. <laughs> I think the Medusa issue is one of the most interesting issues we've read honestly just for that little these little bits that happen did anyone did did anyone want to discuss anything else no we probably should get to the next issue anyway moving on a basic spider-man 64 wings in the night the vulture's back and here i thought he was dead you were right as usual james b but the vulture isn't crossing paths with Spidey yet. It's raining buckets out, and we find out spider powers do not blend well with rain. Spidey f- falls and hurts his shoulder badly, but manages to limp home, while the vulture steals his extra costume from a museum and flies off. That night, Peter is hounded by dreams of Gwen. The next morning at school, he is distraught over Gwen ignoring him in class, and Gwen is distraught over Peter not approaching her. And now it's time for our Let's Read Spider-Man special feature, The Ladies of Peter Parker's Life. James B., take it away. I don't know how much more of this I can take to be so close to her, to see her, and hear her. And yet, but how could she put me out of her mind, out of her heart so quickly, so easily? Oh, Peter, if you only had one word of explanation, I'd believe anything you tell me. Nothing seems to matter anymore without you these guys aren't looking so good in this uh in this issue they're they're she's in tears in basically every scene and he's so so sad um yeah it's too bad that they just can't spend one moment to kind of straighten this out huh poor gwetted peter Uh, well, thank you, James B. We're going we're going to move on. That night, a highly agitated Norman knocks on the two friends' apartment door to see Harry, but has strange visions of Spider-Man and Green Goblin when Peter answers the door. Harry and Peter are concerned for Norman. The latter more concerned that Norman's memory of Green Goblin and Spider-Man's identity will return. Meanwhile, the vulture brazenly flies into a prison, gives a startled Blackie Drago his extra suit, and freed Blackie only to defeat him in combat publicly to prove he is the one and only vulture. Stephen, you don't know much about this whole vulture, the original vulture and Blackie Drago. Um, We just had Medusa, who you thought wasn't really much of a villain. What do you think of these guys as foes of Spider-Man? They mostly just fight each other while Spider-Man has a limp arm. Uh, is is that your impression of them in this issue, James B? Sp- Spider-Man gets hurt a lot. And he's beaten the Vulture a couple times already, and he's beaten Blackie Drago a couple times, or at least once, excuse me. So I guess if we make Spider-Man hurt, we could then have it make it be a closer fight because he can't just be like, oh, here's Spider-Man, he's just going to beat the Vulture again, or here's Spider-Man, he's going to beat Blackie Drago again. Why don't you wrap up this issue for us, Eddie? All right. J. Jonah Jameson spots the pair of aviators and forces Peter to the roof to take pictures. 
Blackie and the Vulture fight for many panels, and Blackie is bested as an innocent boy falls off a terrace. Peter sneaks away and changes, and we see Spidey swing to the rescue at the end. Eddie, that is a excellent summary. Uh, before we get our opinion from everybody on the summary, we have uh, we have to get a sponsor. Do you guys have time for a sponsor? Everyone's got time for a sponsor. Absolutely. Eddie, after reading the issue we did earlier, you wouldn't really want any of that heavenly hairspray, right? I mean, we talked about how bad that was, right? <laughs> what you could consider, though, is the newest product from the new company from Montgomery J. Bliss. It's called Big Bald Boss Cream. Guys, experts say it's important to keep a bald head clean moisturized and protected from the sun because any irritations will not only bother you but they will be visible to everyone else eddie do you remember when the kingpin had frederick foswell killed the amazing look he had at the time was from big bad boss cream do you guys remember when the vulture just we just saw he was taking it to blackie drago (laughs) you guessed it guys that handsome man had no dryness so become your own big boss and buy yourself some big bald boss cream today montgomery j bliss does not condone murder the first line of defense against dandruff is hair products do not break convicts out of jail see our full commercial on the hallmark channel this holiday season eddie would you consider shaving your head and looking like a boss using big bald boss cream what do you say you know the only shiny headed bald men in spider-man seem very evil i i i don't know if this is the them endorsing this cream or are we sure this doesn't make them evil james b it's a look it's looking like a boss steven did, did you see the vulture did he look like a boss in that fight <laughs> yeah he's a real boss i'm looking i'm looking at the the splash panel on the top of page nine it's a great panel and, and the grimace with the bald head i really see it working and, and blackie drago's sort of a little bit in he's still in the forefront you know compared to the prisoners but he's kind of in the background and right up front you say wow that guy's a boss, mm-hmm. and that's because he's using big, bald boss cream. So, Eddie, you know, think about it some more, please. I'm suspicious, James B., but I'll consider it. Stephen, what are your thoughts on this issue? Yeah, I find this issue interesting because there's kind of two two parallel plots going on at the same time. We've got the, the conflict between Vulture and Drago that develops. Uh, meanwhile, Spider-Man is here really just kind of having a struggle issue and right from the the beginning of the issue where there's pages devoted to him being wet and losing his powers uh in in the wetness which seems like a liability to me if if you can't really work well in the rain i don't i don't know how uh how that would work out i guess you'd have to search for the right climate steven i i read that and i just looked around the room like is anybody else seeing this spider-man can't fight in the rain like what it's been five years it's it's sixty something issues plus a couple annuals, and he can't fight in the rain. This is his this is his weakness now. We thought his weakness was gas. We used to spray gas in his face; it would knock him out. And then he finally wore a gas mask for the second time, and now it's rain. Eddie, what, what's going on here? In this yeah, issue? You, you didn't know villains take a day off when it rains. They're like, ah, uh, no thanks, because <laughs> they're like Spider Man's taking the day off. We might as well all take the day off. Yeah, villains taking the day off. Yeah, oh, speaking of villains. Uh, third villain named Blackie. Did you guys notice it's the third villain named Blackie? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. When I, I when I when I first read that panel, I thought because there's like the one black 
inmate oh. there too. Sure, and yeah, I yeah. thought they, that they were, that he was like calling his fellow inmate that like, whoa, that can't be. <laughs> You're like, what are these guys reading? The, the first time they use that name too, I'm like, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? And remember listeners, if you have a son, do not name him Blackie. <laughs> he really is the third guy named. Did you see the other Blackie a couple issues ago, Eddie? One of the bad guys, or like Blackie. get him Blackie. He was part of yeah. the Kingsman's gang. I'm like, he, of yeah, he was just like some thug. But still, like, they, there are that few names There's like Blackie no, and Charlie. I'm like, you could use more names besides Blackie. There must have been so many criminals running around New York with the name Blackie for them to use it <laughs> this many times. Eddie, did you notice that J. Jonah Jameson twice loses a cigar? I felt like it was too much for me to bring this up again. But, like, now it's losing its effect. He's losing his cigar all the time. Guy must, like, be super shocked, I guess. Well, one time he gets shoved by his good friend Norman Osborne, and he, he gets false. <laughs> but later he gets shocked when, like, you know, Peter's not around to take photos. So, oh, but... he's so angry about that right in that scene. Yeah. Uh, this. Oh, my God. First of all, tons of recap of these issues. I mean, I, I know that. Steven wouldn't recognize how much recap there is unless he's read other comics. There's a lot of retelling. It's good for it's a good issue to cover because if, if you haven't read the previous issue, you don't need it. But the fact that he sneaks away, like he's right there taking photos, right? He's right there. He's I'm looking on I'm looking on page 17. He's like, you know, he's like, uh, he's telling him, hurry, snap them, snap them before they fly away. And he's like, okay, you can simmer down. These will be great. These shots will be great. What are you going to pay me for him? Pay you? You should pay me. Who brought you up here? You know, and he's going off on it. And then he sees the kid scared and the kid's right. And then the next scene, he turns around. Parker, look at the kid. He's holding on for dear life on that broken. T- Parker, where are you? Like, how did he get away? He like, they're standing together. Is he backing away and sneaks off? Did he take the uh, camera with him? Uh, he should have left the camera there to like take the picture from a different angle. But I think J. Jonah is just really focused on the battle. It's raging. I mean, they're destroying things, so. <sighs> your, your J. Jonah Jameson voice is so superb, James B. I always like it. I love I love the, the tension in, in it where he's both stressed and elated at the same time. He's like always very stressed, but this is this is like peak moment for him and he's very excited too. But the he's, he's about the photos. to yeah, that, that he's about to, you know, these photos are gonna gonna make his year. Yeah, well, I, apparently not. That's the best description of J. Jonah Jameson, I think. Stressed and elated. So, uh, what'd you think of the? Uh, we didn't really do any kind of like summary of the whole thing, but what, what did, you know, we're reading all these Spider-Man books, whether we like them or not. But what'd you what'd you think of Spider-Man as a book? Yeah, these were the first real like solid issues of Spider-Man that I've read. So, um, but I do have some comic reading experience from more independent comics. Um, And a little uh, X-Men too, right? And a little X-Men. Yeah. I've dabbled in some X-Men. I think the character is compelling. The, the inner struggles that he has are interesting with, and with his relationship challenges and, this constant, oh, I, it would be so good if I could reveal who I am, but I definitely can't do that. That dynamic is is interesting. I think it just gets old kind of fast. Sure. Um, 
This isn't like, known. This isn't known for like the people aren't like the best comic run happened in the in you know in the sixties. Yeah. Like we've sort of lost. We've sort of lost where the the peak was for a little while. Um, what do you think? Uh, do you think story wise? You know, Eddie and I are are not spoiled like in the short term. Like I don't know what happens. Like Eddie said, like oh the vultures next issue. Like yeah, he's on the cover. Like you know, mm-hmm. I mean Spider Man's not going to lose, but I, I don't know what's happening. But do you think that Spider Man's going to tell? Gwen's dad that he's Spider-Man? That little tease of, of this lunch meeting that's coming was was very intriguing. I, I, I liked that nod toward an arc that would continue into the next issue. I, I get obsessed with narrative arcs and how they're built and how they're constructed. And I think one of the things that keeps me away from uh, more classic comics is that they do sort of stand alone more as, as single issues. Sure. Um, and so this this hint of a bigger arc uh, was something that I enjoyed. Do I think he's going to tell him? Probably not. Eddie, if I can go back to issue 62 with Medusa for a second, did you catch the last panel with MJ? Oh, it was, yeah, I ended my summary with, uh, he snubs her, right? What I say? Yeah. He snubs her at the very end. It's, I mean, that seems like it's over. Like I know MJ, can recover from virtually anything. But if I was MJ, I would never try to make a pass at Peter again. After well, that. a couple things here. One is that I realize I really thought they were still dating and, and obviously I'm wrong. <laughs> Let me be confusing. clear. But I don't know when, the, I don't know when that relationship ended. That, that relationship disappeared as quickly as Peter disappeared from shooting these photographs on the roof. And J. Jonah James is like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know when he stopped dating MJ and became with Gwen, but in that sequence there, I think something happened to MJ that you've been waiting for with her for a very long time. The very last panel, when she says, pierce my ears and call me drafty, he really misses her. That response is very different than mm-hmm. somebody who's being snubbed. That's She's being very sensitive to the situation. You know, She's being a little more supportive than I expected. I, I think that's her first not uh, goofy, daffy, you know, dizzy... MJ kind of moment. I think she's get a little bit of sub, a little bit of substance right there. You you are actually very correct. I agree with that. She's she's finally showing something beyond kind of being ditzy all the time with her language and being a go go dancer. Poor MJ. <laughs> That's interesting, huh? Yeah, I know it is. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the lady, the ladies of Peter Parker. I, that's, like, that's you. Nothing escapes me in that. Social justice. I didn't even know what you were talking about, but did you catch MJ? So, also, um, MJ was on the cover of the last issue, and Gwen was on the cover of the issue before that. So they're starting to appear on the covers of the issue. Yeah, yeah, I know. So here's one more thing I was thinking. After that Medusa issue, I find it really fascinating that the next issue features the Vulture. The Vulture being Spider-Man's first villain he ever encountered. And considering there were a lot of undertones in the Medusa issue about the current state of society, Stanley is really dialing back this issue by bringing back a very known quantity in the Spider-Man world and just reaffirming to us that this is a comic book. It's about Spider-Man. He's a superhero. And like things happen that are very goofy and things happen that are you know serious with Spider-Man. But let's not let's not get too focused on you know the rest of what's going on is how I feel about it. No, knowing I feel like we've got a good idea of what Stan's like. He's very good at balancing um, these different ideas throughout his comics so that 
they appeal to a really broad audience at all times, but still have like his idea of, you know, things that are going on in the world added to them. He does indeed, Eddie. And if you are anywhere in the world and you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at Let's Read Spider-Man at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at Let's Read Spidey. And Stephen, where can people find you? Uh, I'm sometimes on Twitter at Stephen B. Tatum. You could hit me up there if you wanted. Excellent. I appreciate you uh, joining us. Hey, I had a great time. Thank you for the invitation. And anytime you want to talk about anything written down in a story form, <laughs> I am game. All it's right. time. All right. It's time for the close. Um, Eddie, take it away. And remember, listeners, if you're going to commit a crime, do it in the rain so Spider-Man can't stop you. Bye. Goodbye. And And remember, listeners, if you want to know if a little kid is frightened... Look for a kid who says, mommy, mommy, hurry, I'm frightened. Helps, help somebody, I'm frightened. Mommy, mommy, help me, I'm going to fall. <laughs> what a <laughs> lie. <laughs> he says he's frightened twice. We get it, kid. You're falling like 30 stories. <laughs> and you use the word frightened. Who uses the word frightened? Is that? Did I, did, You're old. My there's daughter no, might try that. There's nothing else to do in 1968 but use the word frightened. I'm so frightened, Mommy. 